Good morning. How's everybody doing today? So we've been doing this for what, like six, seven weeks? And I found out this morning that some people have gotten really good about drive, preparing for driving church and some people are still struggling. For example, I know that someone here has a porta potty in the back of their vehicle in case things get a little crazy and they can't go inside. It's John right up here. She asked who it was, so I wasn't going to tell John. And, and then we also figured out some people are still struggling because they parked and didn't turn their car off for a little while. They happen to be neighbors, so I'd stay away from these two cars, okay? Now, thank you guys for showing up. We just praise God for a beautiful day, and I'm going to go ahead and pray this in this morning. Father, we thank you for a gorgeous day to come and worship you and praise you. Holy Spirit, we just ask for your presence to flow down on this parking lot, on this church, on this building, on this property in a powerful way. Not that we would emotionally feel you, Holy Spirit, but we would we would just know you're here and we'd be just engulfed with your presence. Jesus, we thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for everything you've done for us. And we are here to worship you today, King Jesus. And Father, I thank you again in Jesus' name. Good morning, church. Thank God for this beautiful day. Right? Woo! All right. So I um I actually have a verse that I'm going to read to you this morning. But before I get to this verse, um, upon advice of my sweet friend Mandy out here, I am going to share what I shared some what I shared during prayer time this morning, and and I am going to get real and I'm going to get raw. And so hopefully I can sing this next song. Um, this week I've had a hard week. And I just keep going back to Jesus' last moments when he was in Gethsemane and he was praying and his heart was broken and he was scared and he was laying there on his face praying, God, please help me. I mean, how many of us have had those moments where we're just laying there on our face, God, please help me? You know, and so I think that a lot of us are just having those garden moments right now. And there's just been times where I've woke up in the night and I'm praying and I'm asking God, please help me. And the thing that... I want to say is that his friends were there, but they were sleeping. They didn't understand. It didn't mean they didn't love him. It didn't mean that um, they weren't going to fight for him or be there for him, but it did mean that they didn't understand. And so he goes back to him and he says, why are you sleeping? And then he goes back and he prays. And so it says, Jesus asked God, he says, can you please take this cup from me? But yet your will. And so I think, I just want to tell you guys that there are moments in your life where you are going to be stuck in Gethsemane. I feel like I've been stuck in Gethsemane since the beginning of 2020, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Some of y'all may feel like that. I'm just stuck in Gethsemane and I can't get out. And so every night I'm praying, God, please help me. Your will. God, I'll, please give me peace with it, whatever your will is. And so God did lay this verse on my heart this week. Like, I didn't cry when I said that. I cried earlier, so I'm kind of thankful. <laughs> um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. I just want to say that it says he makes me lie down. So some of y'all, he's making us lie down, okay? So he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to do communion here in a few minutes. If you did not pick up communion on the way in, please honk your horn, raise your hand, dance something so we can get you communion. We failed at getting our worship team communion. And Trish. Okay, we'll, get, we'll work on that. Anybody else? We got one over here. Anybody else? Raise your hand. All 
All right, John and Karen, if y'all want to come on up while we're... John and Karen are going to lead us through communion today. So while we were worshiping and, and Andy read Psalm 23, in verse 5 it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is the table he prepared, his body and his blood. And this is our spiritual warfare. And we are saying something to the enemy that we are eating in front of. And this is how we fight. Okay, so y'all just do this every day if you can. It's just awesome. In the meantime, we remember. There we are. We are mighty warriors of God. We don't need to yell it. We need to just live it. We bees what we bees, and as human beings, not human doings. But God said, you are my children. I have adopted you. You have no sin in my sight. We are clean, 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 clean. My little girl, when we adopted her, got out the tub, ran around the house, says, I'm clean, I'm clean and clean, butt naked. I said, that is awesome for a little girl to do that. Just remember, we are clean. So here we go. Where do you want to go? <laughs> okay. This is in Luke where Jesus um, was having the Passover meal with his 12 disciples, Luke 22, 20. Likewise, he also, oh, wait a minute, sorry. I'll start in 15. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. If we would now take the very body of Jesus Christ. By faith, we receive. By faith, this is the body of Christ. As we consume it, we become what we consume. We become what we believe. We become the body of Christ. The body of Christ needs to rise today. Take dominion in our lives, in our families, in this nation, and the world, because we has won. So receive the body to the glory of our Father in heaven in the name of Jesus. Amen. And this is the blood that he shed for us, a sacrifice that he gave. The life is in the blood, and this is his blood. And when we partake of it, the li his life is in us. So thank you, Jesus, for sacrificing your body and your blood for us. Fill us. Let us be good imagers of you and bring heaven to earth through what we do. In everything we do, let us overcome evil with good. In your name we pray. Amen.
Oh, glorious Father, we do dare come to you. You are Papa. You are Daddy. We run into the throne room, and we just dance, and we sing, and we play. Just like a mother would take a child who runs out in the mud, comes in the house, doesn't yell or scream, but simply cleans up the child and says, go back outside because I need you out there to play because you'll drive me nuts otherwise. So, Lord, we just love you. We come to worship you. We offer ourselves our very bodies, our your body. We are idols. What does that mean? You possess us. We need nothing else but your Holy Spirit within us, and we represent to the world you, your kingdom. We enforce it. So each one of us, we lift up the sacrifice to offer ourselves in humility. Lord, we need to be humble. So Jesus, humble us anytime you will, because we want to serve you. We want to scream and holler for you. We want to play, but we want to enforce that kingdom. But most of all, we want to give your love to a hurting world. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this point, we have no clue if this is our last time to do drive-in church or if we'll continue. So we'll just keep you guys posted next week. Um, each week's a different week. As you've seen, things go back and forth every day at the state level, city level, county level. So we'll just keep you guys posted. But there's a very, very, very important announcement. I need every man to listen. Every man, okay? Next Sunday's Mother's Day. You're welcome. Now, boys, can y'all remind me to get mom something? for? <laughs> I'm going to say it again. Next Sunday is Mother's Day, okay? Every guy hear that. I hope half of Friendsville heard that. Um, and, again, we'll keep you guys posted on anything. We This would be our normal. If we get back to a normal schedule, this Thursday would be our worship night inside the church. So we're going to kind of keep an eye on how things go early this week and pray and make a decision. So we'll let you know. We may be having worship this Thursday night. Um, well, we just come in for a time of worship and prayer, so we'll keep you posted. And guys, what's next Sunday? Mother's Day. We got at least two listeners. Thank you. All right. So the last two weeks, we've talked about who can tell me what have we talked about the last two weeks. Grace. Thank you. We've talked about grace. We've talked about what means. And I'm going to go through that a little bit again. You're like, why are you going through this for the third time in a row? Well, statistics say you have to hear it three times to start understanding it. And you got to hear it seven times to start doing it. So I'm at least going to take a third stab at this. Grace is a bigger word than we think it means, right? It means joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, goodwill, loving kindness, favor, merciful kindness, affection, and approval. So I'm trying to help you guys get your arms around all those things that God has for you. It's not just simply salvation. It's so much more. And, you know, sometimes I can't remember what I talked about last week, so I just want to keep reinforcing this to you. We need to all be reminded of it, I think. And we've got to start plugging those words in daily to understand how God loves us. For some of us, grace has been a thing that we don't feel like we deserve. We've discussed that a lot. We feel like we're lucky to have it because we believe, so we're we believe, so we're lucky to have grace. We're not going to go to hell. That's good. And we think we're going to get into heaven by the skin of our teeth because it's a gift we don't deserve. And it's true that it's a gift we don't deserve. But remember, we've got to start plugging in these other words. It gives our Father joy to give us salvation. It gives him pleasure. It gives it delights him. It's by his sweetness, his charm, his loveliness, his goodwill that we have the ability to be saved. He's kind, he's loving, he's merciful, and that's why he gives us this gift. He gives us this gift with his affection and his approval, his favor. So, Father, I want to stop right now, and I want to thank you for the gift that you give me and everyone here that we don't deserve. And, Father, I don't care how many times we say it, please let us be, begin to truly understand and absorb what your grace truly means and that you take delight in giving it to us, Lord. So, guys, if this is truly a gift, my question is, is that a problem for you? What do I mean by that? 
So if you start looking at yourself, we start evaluating who we are. Some of us are gift givers, right? And some of us are gift receivers. But very rarely are we both a good gift giver and a good gift receiver. I'm going to say that again to make sure I said it right. Some of us are good gift givers, but we're not good gift receivers. I love to give, I love to give, I love to give. Oh, I feel very awkward when you give to me. Some of us on the flip side are we're good, we're good at receiving gifts, right? But we're not good at giving gifts. Does that make sense? If we really truly evaluate ourselves, I think we'll find that sometimes or rarely, we're, we're rarely the both of those together. So if I'm going to talk about receiving a free gift from God, grace, then we've got to evaluate if that's a gift that we have a hard time receiving. If you're not good at receiving gifts. We've got to evaluate if it's a gift that we take for granted because we're a little too quick to receive gifts and not give it out to others. So the best way I can explain this to you is a couple of years ago, we were at our last church and a comedian came in. His name was Michael Jr. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Michael Jr. And if you've ever been to a concert or a comedian show or things like that, they usually always have at least an intermission, right? So they sing or perform for a while, then they have an intermission. At that intermission, they're hopeful that you will go out to their little merchandise table. That's part of how they make their living. So they're hopeful that when you come in, you're going to buy merchandise, you're going to go out at the break and buy merchandise, and you may buy some at the end. That's their hope. That's why they're there. You guys familiar with that? So when it comes to Michael Jr.'s intermission, he said, I'm going to do things a little bit different. And I can't remember exactly how he said it, but he said, I've got a merchandise table out there, and I need you to go buy stuff because I need to survive and feed my family. But he said, some of you, I want you to go out there, and you don't buy anything. You take something. It's yours. It's free. Go get it. Go take it. You don't have to pay a dime. You go out there, and you, pay f- you, you don't pay for anything, and you take a gift, and you leave with it. And some of you need to go out there and pay for something, and you take nothing. Go do it. And he goes to intermission. So I was like, okay, I know I'm a good gift giver. I know I'm not a good gift receiver. So I'm going to go out there to the table. So I go out to the state table. And honestly, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done to pick something up off that table and not pay for it. And what did God show me in that immediate moment? Probably not so much that I'm a good gift giver as much as I got a lot of pride. A lot of pride about not taking something someone's willing to give to me. So it took everything in me to go up and take something from that table, and it was humiliating. I'm not going to lie to you. It was humiliating. But I went up to that table, and I took something, and I walked away. And then we go back in there, and he said, how many of y'all went back there, and God told you you need to take something? I raised my hand, and he's like, and it was hard, wasn't it? And I was like, y'all raised both hands, a foot. It was tough. And I got to be honest, on the other side, at the end of it, I couldn't wait to go back out there and give some money for somebody else, so I felt like it balanced it out. But what's my point? My point is if we truly reflect, some of us are good gift givers, and some of us are good gift takers. But you know what I mean. How many of you are feeling it right now? You love to buy people gifts. You love to give them gifts. It makes you feel good. You love to give acts of service to people. When they come and they offer something to you, it's hard to take it, right? On the flip side, how many of you don't have a problem at all asking for somebody to come help? You don't have a problem at all taking a gift in. But you may be a little more hesitant to run out to do that act of service for them at their house or to go out and buy them a gift. Think about a children, a child. What are little children born to want? It's Christmas time. Christmas time, right? What do little kids want? Gifts? For the most part, when you look at a little kid, are they really concerned about what gifts their parents got that day? Or are they only concerned about the gifts they got? Right? And there are rare, there are rare examples of kids that really enjoy giving gifts to parents. But I'm talking about for the most part, it's something that's born into us. It's part of a selfish nature. It's part of a prideful nature. We have to work hard as we grow up to get out of that nature, right? You guys with me? 
So those that don't receive gifts well sort of feel it right now. But are you too prideful to admit it? You feel it, but you're too prideful to admit. Maybe there's some of you out there that are entitled, and you really have no clue what I'm talking about right now. (laughs) We got at least one. That's awesome. But if you fall into that category of being entitled, that's part of the problem is you have no clue. You have no clue that you feel entitled, right? So that's part, of a, that's part of why it's a blind spot or a problem. So I'm asking you guys as we talk through this today to take a real look at yourself and try your best to evaluate this area where you need work. Because back to what Michael Jr. said, he said, if you can't go out to that table and receive a gift, and I want you to hear this, If you can't go out to that table and receive a free gift, how in the world can you accept the free gift of salvation from your heavenly Father? Just let that sink in for a minute. That was a life-changing moment, statement. If you can't receive a gift, or it hurts to receive a gift, how difficult is it to receive God's free gift? I want you to spend time there thinking about that because if that's an area you need to work on, I don't care what you do when people give you a gift. That's not the point. The point is I want you to be able to receive. That was the moment when I said, that's part of my problem. I can't receive what God's done for me fully, and, and, and that's part of the reason I can't get my act together and I keep going out and screwing up and doing things I know I shouldn't do and not giving everything I've got to God because I don't even know how to receive that gift, Right? Flip all the way to the other side. You're a little too good at receiving gifts. How in the world, if you take things for granted and you feel entitled, can you ever experience the true gift of God's grace and not take it for granted? So I think this is a huge point that we need to really evaluate on today. I'm going to say those two things again just to make sure they're clear. If you are not good at receiving gifts, how good are you receiving God's free gift, grace? If you're really good at receiving gifts, feel a little bit entitled, are you taking God's free gift for granted? Now, with everything we talk about, I think there's a balance to all of this. In a perfect world, I'm as equal to receive his free gift as I am to turn it around and offer it to one of you guys or to someone in my life that may be hurting me right now. Maybe you are balanced. Maybe you got this thing down and it's easy for you to receive it. It's easy for you to give it out. Maybe you lie too far to one side. Maybe you lie too far to the other side. That's pretty much between you and the Holy Spirit. No one else can tell you, wait a second, that's not true. You want to know where you are? Ask your closest friends. Ask your family. Ask your wife. Ask your children. If you want to know, first of all, go to the Holy Spirit. Have that discussion with the Holy Spirit. But if you really don't know where you are, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to come back to this later, but I'm going to challenge you to ask somebody close to you. They'll be more than happy to tell you where you are in this realm, I promise you. I know my family is. (laughs) So when we talk about repentance, which we've tried to key on this entire time of the last seven, eight weeks, is we talk about grace, whether we can fully receive it or take it for granted. We begin to self-evaluate, allow others to speak into our lives if we have the courage to ask someone next to us how we are at receiving and or giving gifts. This whole self, self-evaluation thing is something John mentioned when he was doing communion and praying, humility. So that's the word I'm trying to get to when I talk about these gifts is humility. You know, last week, It was nasty, right? It was raining or drizzling. We didn't know at any moment if it was going to start raining. It was cold. I praise God people still showed up. 
<laughs> Thank you again. But in that moment, I kind of shortened the sermon a little bit because I had three parables to talk about with grace. And I shortened it to two because at any moment I thought it was going to start pouring down rain. So this week, I had to kind of have that discussion with God of, okay, I, I cut that out, and do I need to go back? Do I need to go back and talk about that parable? And I didn't really get an answer, so I went back to read the parable, but the interesting thing is, I've been thinking about humility, and right before that parable, in bold letters in my Bible, it says, Jesus teaches about humility. I'm not always the best listener, but I thought, okay, God, I asked you if I was supposed to teach any more on this particular parable, and you show me the one before it. So I'm going to read that parable. It's in Luke 14, 7 through 11. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to seat, sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. So to set this stage, he's talking about people are coming to a dinner. They've been invited to a, to a wedding feast. And when people are coming to sit down, he notices they all run to the seats of honor at the head of the table. He says, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has already been invited? Then the host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed. You'll have to take whatever seat's left at the foot of the table. So if you come looking for the seat of honor at the feast, there's a chance you might get totally humiliated. And you might get pushed all the way to the back of the line, right? He says, instead, take the lowest seat at the foot of the table. So he's saying, don't go to the head and get pushed to the foot. Go to the foot first. Go to the foot of the table first. Then when the host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then it doesn't really matter where he puts you at the table. You will be honored in front of all the other guests. For these, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus says, don't run out and go to the head of the table. Don't try to puff yourself up and put yourself up there with the, with the, the main people because you take a risk, you're going to get completely humiliated. Go ahead and go to the foot of the table and let them honor you by bringing you forward, by bringing you up to a better place. And I think that story sounds good, but the problem is we live in a society that says exactly the opposite. People will wait in line, camp in a tent in the middle of a parking lot, and wait for hours in a line to get where? At the front of the line, at the front of the crowd, whether it's a concert, it doesn't matter what it is. Our society says run to the front. Puff yourself up. Make yourself look better. Show off everything you do in front of others. Everything you do, talk about it. Make sure everybody knows the good stuff you've done so you'll compare to the other people. <laughs> What's social media do for us? It's mostly fake, right? But what do we do? We spend all of our time on social media pointing out the cool trips we took or the cool things we did or how we served somebody. I Man, I did something really nice for somebody today. I'm going to take pictures and post it and pretend it's because I think it's pretty what I did for them, but I'm really puffing myself up to make everybody know that I did something good for them, right? Anybody here guilty of that? Y'all can raise your hand. Somebody said no, but I, I've been guilty of it. Come on. We do that, guys. That's what our society says to do. Our society also says, and I'm not accusing you guys of this, but our society also says tear others down. Tear them down. Because if I tear you down, I'll look better, right? Let me tear you down. Talk about your weaknesses. Let me talk about your weaknesses so it builds me up. Right? Then we have people come right along behind that and say, don't tell everybody about your weaknesses. You don't want to look weak. You want to look strong. But Jesus said do the exact opposite. Take the place, the lowest place at the table. So I'm asking you to be honest with yourself. Are you at the front of the line running to take that place of honor? Are you willing to step back and let others go before you and take that seat? Maybe you're at the front of the line, but if you're at the front of the line, do you go to the, to the least seat? And think about it, guys. This is not just about a wedding feast. This is about everything you do in life. It's about everything you do. We all look for a natural leader and we try to migrate close to that leader a lot of times. But are you willing to be the behind-the-scenes person? Are you willing to do nothing or do everything for no glory? 
and let that person lift you up? Or are you running to the forefront to try to be seen? Because Jesus said, do the opposite of running to the front. Lower yourself to the foot of the table so you're not humiliated when you're asked to move. Put yourself in a low position so you can be honored. There's a few other scriptures I'm going to run through. They're short, but I don't lose them. Ephesians 4.2, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Just always be humble and gentle. And that sounds a lot different than what I just described for our society. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. That's tough. Making allowance for each other's faults. See, he doesn't say no one's, you're going to be perfect. Expect your, your friend to work on all this until they're perfect. They're going to have faults, right? He's insinuating here there's going to be faults, and we have to let our love make allowance for those faults. I think sometimes we're quick to point out people's faults. It's like I've said the last two weeks, we're not quick to look at our own. But this says make allowance for those faults because of your love. Philippians 2, 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. I want to be careful as we're talking about humility. Don't confuse the word humility with self-pity. Don't confuse the word humility with starting to believe that you're worthless or you're not worth anything. We're talking about honoring others by putting them before you. And if you do that and you do that right, you will be exalted by God. Proverbs 11.2, pride leads to disgrace, but humility come, with humility comes wisdom. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. See, I don't need a person to lift me up in honor, right? I've got a promise right there. If I do the right things and I try to humble myself, I go to the foot of the table, God himself will be the one to lift me up in honor. And that's all I need. I don't need everyone else's approval. Yeah, it feels good to have it, let's be honest. But I don't need that if I stand on this promise that all I have to do is humble myself before the Lord and he will lift me up in honor. We've talked about this next verse many times during this pandemic. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles 7.14, then... If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. If you notice in every one of the scriptures I just read, there's either a contingency or a comparison. Ephesians, always be humble and gentle. What's the opposite of that? What's that compared to? The opposite of humble and gentle to me is critical and harsh. If I'm humble, I won't be looking at your faults. I'll be looking at mine. If I'm not humble, I will be critical looking for your problems. If I'm gentle, I'm not going to be harsh, right? But if I'm critical and looking for your faults all the time, I'm probably going to be a little bit harsh. Philippians 2.3, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. There's a comparison there. If I'm going to be humble, I can't be selfish. I can't try to impress others. Proverbs 11.2, there's a comparison to pride and humility. Pride simply equals disgrace. Pride, disgrace. Pride equals disgrace. Humility equals wisdom. Do you want disgrace or wisdom? Do you want disgrace or wisdom? Because I need to make sure that you understand that pride leads to disgrace and humility leads to wisdom. James 4.10, the comparison, humility equals honor by God. Honor by God. You want to be honored by God? Humility equals honor by God. Second Chronicles. Man, there's a big contingency plan in this verse. Humility, prayer, seeking God. What does it get you? It gets you forgiveness and restoration. Whether it's us as individuals or whether it's our land, humility, seek, humility, prayer, seeking God equals forgiveness and restoration. So if we get this about humility, and it takes humility to get 
honor from God and to get placed at a better spot at the table and to be humble and gentle and all these great things. Why is it easy for us? Why is it so dang hard to not be humble? Is it pride? Humility is the opposite of pride. And let's go back to day one. What was the first sin? I'm not talking about the garden. What was the first sin? Satan had pride. Satan was a beautiful angel. We've talked about this many times. Beautiful angel. He had power. He had angels that reported to him. He was over important things in heaven. But God gave all the angels free will, just like he gives us free will. And what did Satan do? I'm better than God. I can do it better than God. And that's pride. And it got him kicked out of heaven where he could come down here and torment us. Right? So do you not think that pride is going to be one of his number one tools? I think fear is a huge one. I think rejection is a huge one. Look at what our nation's done under fear right now. Again, not taking away from the seriousness of a virus, but look what fear through the media has done to our nation, to our churches, to Christians. Look at how rejection manifests in our lives, and we've talked about that. But are we willing to look at one of his other biggest tools, which is pride? Got him kicked out of heaven. I'm going to argue it's one of his most powerful tools. Satan knows if he can get you wrapped up in being prideful, he's got you. Why has he got you? Because if pride separated him from God, what's pride going to do for you? I want you to think about that. Pride is what separated Satan from God. And he wants you to be full of pride and me to be full of pride, all of us to be full of pride because what will it do at its core? It will separate us from God. This next scripture is short, but it's powerful. I'm going to ask you to try your best to remember James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Did you hear that? It's humble. All I got to do is humble myself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee. How many of us feel like Satan's got our number? Satan's breathing down our throats and he just won't let up. Anybody feel that? Maybe that should be a clear indication that maybe we haven't completely humbled ourselves and we haven't completely resisted him because I got a promise right here in James 4, 7. This is if I humble myself before God and I resist him, he will flee. So this week as I'm looking at that, I'm starting to go, okay, I got to start, I got to start evaluating when he's not fleeing when I tell him to leave, when I tell him to leave me alone, what do I need to do? Is there a humility thing I need to work on? Is there some pride I need to break? Am I resisting him or am I going right with him down the path of fear, rejection, pride, etc.? So I'm going to read that verse again. Humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I don't know about you guys, but that verse got me fired up. Seeing that tie between humility and Satan fleeing got me fired up. Is it easy to be humble? No. But that verse alone is a huge motivation, if we take that to heart, to drive us to humility. So in every one of those scriptures I read, if you look at the Greek word for humble or humility, it means to make yourself lower or to lower yourself. So I'm going to kind of read back through those. When you lower yourself, I'm putting these in layman's terms. When you lower yourself, you will love people better. When you lower yourself, you will treat people better because you won't be selfish. When you lower yourself, you will get wisdom. It's the opposite of what I've learned all my life, but if you lower yourself, Scripture says you will get wisdom. If you lower yourself, you will get lifted up in honor by our Father God, our Creator. When you lower yourself, you will be forgiven and restored. When you lower yourself, you will be able to resist the devil and make him flee. So I'm just going to pick two out of there. If humility leads to me being honored by God and the devil fleeing, that's all the motivation I need 
to, to try my best to be humble. And honestly, if that doesn't motivate you, I don't know if there's anything I can say or do to make you, to motivate you to go towards humility. To be honored by God and to have the devil flee if I simply humble myself, man, that's good. That's, that's, that's all I need. So what about those of us that think we have humility, but maybe we don't have humility? Anybody think they might be in that realm? Again, it's kind of like the entitlement thing. If you're in this realm, you probably don't know it. You probably need to ask somebody around you. What I'm saying is if you're going to try to achieve humility, you've got to be careful that Satan doesn't twist it all the way back around into something else called false humility. You see, some people pretend to lower themselves, which is what humility means, but they're doing it to look good. They're doing it because it's the right thing to do, because that's what I'm supposed to do, because I'm trying to act like I'm living out Scripture but maybe they haven't really done it in their hearts. They're just trying to put on a show. Some people practice humility to the point of lowering themselves to manipulate people. Anybody ever been there? So i got a couple of questions. You ever met anybody? These are just a couple of, a couple of many that I want to give as examples. You ever heard anybody say, they just come up to you and they want to tell you how much they're struggling? And I'm struggling this area in my life. I just want to share it with you. I just want to be humble and tell you. But they never stop and say, what are you struggling with? That's called false humility. I'm going to act like I'm humble because I just need to vent to somebody, but I really don't care what's going on in your life. Why is it false humility? Because you're being selfish. You only want to tell them what's wrong with you. You're not willing to tell them or listen to what they have going on. That's false humility. You ever met somebody that's willing to admit their little small sins in their life? You know, you walk up and say, what are you struggling with? What can I pray for you? And, oh, let me tell you about this little small thing I've been working on, a little small sins. But they're never willing to tell you about some of the bigger things in their life? That's false humility. Let me, let me lower myself long enough to tell you a little thing so you think I'm evaluating myself, but I'm really not. You ever meet somebody that's always just ready to tell you about all the sacrifices all the sacrifices they're making for someone else. Man, I'm worn out right now because yesterday I was out uh, feeding the homeless. And whew. You ever hear that? I'm going to be honest with you. That's one I've probably been the most guilty of. That's the one that kind of stabbed me in the face when I asked my own question. It's false humility. I just want you to know what all good I did yesterday or the day before or this week, right? So I complain about it, so I get the opportunity to tell you. That's called false humility. You ever have anybody come up to you and ask you for advice in a certain area in their life because you've got experience and you give them that advice, and then they spend the next 20 minutes arguing with you about how your advice is wrong? Ever happened to anybody? Happens to me all the time. Need your advice. Okay, here's my advice. Well, no, I can't do that because this. I'm like, why are you asking for my advice? You just spent 20 minutes telling me all the reasons you don't want to do what you asked me to tell you to do. I don't even know if I said that right, but you get the point. <laughs> it's false humility. You ever have somebody come up to you and try to convince you that their opinion is right because bless your heart, you just haven't been through what they've been through. You don't know what's about to hit you, so let me just tell you how you need to handle this. That's called false humility. Again, there are many others. I'm just trying to hit some that I see in my life on a frequent basis. Some of those I'm guilty of. Some of those I see them happen. And some of those I wonder if I'm guilty of and I don't even see it. So we need to be careful that when we try to be humble, we don't let that Satan flip that and turn it into a false humility. Because honestly, false humility for me is just another source of pride. I want you to think I'm lower because that makes me look better. It makes me look like I'm humble. I'm trying to look better, and that's just pride. So, what if you don't know if you've got a humility problem or not? You want some advice on figuring out if you have a humility issue or a pride issue? I'm sorry, not a humility issue, a pride issue. You want some, some advice? Anybody ever get easily defensive 
about anything in their life when they're asked? I mean, the same thing, kind of an area of your life, you just get constantly get defensive when you're asked about it. So I heard a quote, it says, often the thing in our life that is the most destructive is the thing we get the most defensive about. Woo! The thing in our life is the most destructive is the thing we get most defensive about. So I'm asking you to start looking. Look for when you get defensive. And start to ask the question, why did I get so defensive when they came up and asked, when, when they asked if I needed help, I got defensive. When they asked what I'm doing with my money, I got defensive. Why am I getting so defensive? When they ask if I'm reading my Bible, I got defensive. When they ask if I'm fighting fear, I got defensive. I can go on and on. A second way, how quickly, and this is going to be tough. This is going to be tough for me and a lot of other people in the, in the audience today. How quickly can you realize and admit you are wrong? Anybody good at that? At least we got a child that's willing to be honest. <laughs> I heard another saying, humility is measured by how quickly you can realize you are wrong. I didn't say admit, it said realize. I think there is a realize and admit in this discussion, but how quickly you can realize you are wrong may show you whether or not you have humility. Now, how quickly you admit may do the same, but that can also be false humility if you're just trying to get out of the uncomfortable situation. But how quickly you can recognize. All right, so what happens if you see yourself as clean, not being defensive? You see yourself as quick to realize and admit when you're wrong. You're good, right? You're humble. Nothing you need to work on, right? So I got a challenge for you this week. And I'm going to challenge everybody here and everybody who listens to this to do this challenge. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for me because i got to do it too. Here's your challenge. I want you to find five people. And I want you to ask those five people what you need to change. I heard an oh wow. <laughs> you may want to be careful who those five people are. If you're in an open Six-year-long argument with a family member, probably don't want to go ask them. Or maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe you're the problem and you need to go ask them. Maybe ask a spouse. Ask me, I'll tell you. <laughs> ask my wife, she'll tell you. I didn't mean that as a slam, even though it almost sounded like one. Here's the rules, though. There's rules to this challenge. If you ask these five people, what do I need to change? You can't argue when they tell you. You can't argue. That's called being defensive. Okay? Everybody got that? You cannot argue. I didn't say, I didn't say you couldn't disagree. You can't argue with them in that moment. And you can't get your feelings hurt. Everybody go with that? You can't argue with them. You can't get your feelings hurt. Yes, I know that's going to be tough. And you may get your feelings hurt this week. I'm just trying to tell you and warn you that if you go asking people what's wrong with you, you better be prepared. You're going to be willing to argue. You're going to be ready to argue, and it's probably going to hurt your feelings. So you're going to have to pray against that and be careful there. I don't want everybody getting hurt when they do this exercise. The goal is to self-reflect and to become better people, not to hurt people, okay? If I ask you and I argue with you or you think you got my feelings hurt, I openly invite you to go tell my wife because she won't let me off the hook. So that's what I'm, I'm doing. I'm going to ask the questions. I got to go by the same standard. So if I argue with you when you ask me the question, go tell my wife so I can be held accountable. If, I, if you see me getting my feelings hurt, go tell her so I can be held accountable. If you ask someone, or someone asks you, it's not me, it's not Wendy, it's not my family, and you see them get defensive, come tell me. I'll hold them accountable. Again, the point is so we can become better people, so that we can be honored by God, so we can help 
each other, encourage each other so the devil will flee. It's not that we start getting into arguments and fights about what we do or do, what we do right or do wrong. I'm trying to encourage some accountability here. Now, the flip side of that is that you have to be humble and gentle in how you respond. So if I ask you what I need to change, I'm asking you to be humble and gentle in how you respond to me. If someone here asks you what they need to change, it's a spouse, it's a child, whatever, I'm asking you to be humble and gentle, okay? If I ask you what I need to change and use that as an opportunity to tell me how I've hurt you, we got to have another discussion about why you didn't come to me sooner. Because that's scripture with Matthew 18, right? If you have somebody that's hurt you, you're supposed to go to them one-on-one. So I'm not looking for this to be an opportunity to get back at somebody or to, well, I've been holding this in for five years. This is what you need to change. You hurt me five years ago. No, that's not what they need to change. That's what you never addressed, and you need to go apologize to them, okay? You with me on that? If someone asks you what they need to change, don't be ready to tell them within three nanoseconds. Maybe take a few minutes and think or ask them for a day. Someone comes up to me and says, Jason, what do I need to change? And before they get change out, I'm already telling them. That means I've been holding something in I probably need to address or I'm being critical. I'm not being humble and gentle, right? So I'm asking you to do this exercise, but I'm asking you to follow some rules. I'm asking you to be a decent human being about it. Because I think one of the biggest problems that we have is no matter how much we try to work on ourselves, we often still have blind spots that we can't see ourselves. And sometimes it takes someone really close to us to see the blind spot that we can't see. And if there's something I need to work on, I need to know. And if I can't see it, I need someone to humbly and gently tell me so I can become a better person, right? So again, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you to do this exercise, but I'm begging you to do it right so that you don't end up hurting someone or getting hurt yourself. If someone asks you what they need to change, don't hit them with 20 things at one time. Just pick one. I've done that one before. It doesn't turn out well. What do I need to change? And I had a PowerPoint presentation ready. And you think this is not a true story, but this is a true story. <laughs> and after about four pages of PowerPoint, it didn't go well. <laughs> so I learned that lesson. I want to encourage you to bookend. Someone comes to me and they ask me, what do I need to change? I'm going to bookend it with compliments. But before I tell you what you need to change, I want to tell you what I love about you. Okay, here's an area I think is a little bit of a blind spot you might need to work on. But by the way, let me tell you something else I really love about you. You give them a little Oreo like Things are going to turn out better. I promise you. So it's probably a good piece of advice. Anytime someone asks you anything, give them a compliment, tell them what they need to work on, and then end it with a compliment. And then have the tell them thank you. You know how much courage it's going to take for you to ask this question and how much courage it's going to take for somebody to be honest with you? And I don't expect this is going to go perfect. I don't expect everybody's going to get all the honest answers, but I hope this is a start to encourage us to move towards humility. And I want you to write those things down and start to pray and ask God how to fix it. If you tell me something I need to work on today, I don't want you to have to tell me tomorrow or a year from now. So ask God to help you. Because, guys, it's by God's goodness. It's by his favor that you have grace. It's up to him when he gives it out. You know, the parable last week, we said, you believed all your life or you believed in the last breaths of your life. You get the same grace. It's up to God. It's not up to us. It's up to him who he gives it to, why he gives it, how he gives it. But it's up to us to do some things. It's up to us to do good works. It's up to us to build our faith. It's up to us to address the hurts in our lives. It's up to us to work on our pride and try to be more humble. It's up to us to evaluate where we need to change. Am I a prodigal? Am I a prodigal that needs to come back? Am I the big brother that's super critical and entitled? And I don't appreciate when the prodigal comes back. What do I need to do to be the father that ran to embrace the son? Can you be the father when someone says, what do I need to change?
What can I work on to be more humble? See, there's a part we have to do in this whole picture. Wendy and I often say, when we do counseling, there's God's part, there's your part, there's my part. God's always doing his part. I'm going to do my part, but you got to do your part in all of this. And I'm going to end today with two stories that I heard that have happened through this pandemic. I think they're both stories of I think they're both stories of humility. One story, and, and I don't even know if this is a true story. I read it on Facebook, but I hope you get the point. It has to be true, right? It's on social media. So supposedly there was a man in another country, and he went on a, he got COVID-19, and he went on a respirator. And he later got healed and came off that respirator. And he got a bill for how much it cost for him to be on that respirator, and he started crying. And if you've read this story, I hope I'm getting it close enough. And they asked him, why are you crying? Are you crying because it costs so much to be on this respirator? And he said, no. This is the first time in my life that I stopped and paid attention that I've never appreciated God's free air and breath and life that I've had because it's the first time I had to pay to be alive. That was a man being humbled because he had never stopped and thought about it before. We have so much we take for granted, guys. We have to be humble. The second story was about a pastor who was a chaplain at a jail, and they told him, because of the risk of the spread of COVID-19, you can't go into the jail anymore. And you know what he said? He said, arrest me. Arrest me. Arrest me and put me in cuffs and put me in a jail cell. That's what he did to be with the people that he loved and he cared about. They're criminals. They did wrong. They deserve to be there. But he said, I have to lower myself and be in the cell with them because this is the time they need to hear about God. This is the time they need to have faith. This is not the time to walk away from them. And they did it. They put him in jail to be with his prisoners. Those are two pretty incredible stories of humility. The world is crazy. It's getting crazier every week. The world's crazy. It's getting crazier every week. But there are stories of people getting closer to God, being bold, running to God, humbling themselves to humiliation to be with the people that are hurting. We don't know what's going to happen the next week. We got. I'm so thankful for a governor that's allowed us to do this outdoor ceremony, but this week he can't keep, he can't make up his mind about some things. So I don't know what we're doing next week, right? But I can't imagine being in his shoes and trying to make these decisions where he will be criticized no matter if he does one or the other. I can't be critical of him. I need to be humble and pray for him and realize, man, I can't imagine being in his shoes right now. There's arguments over, should we reopen? Should we not reopen? Should you wear a mask? Should you not wear a mask? Nobody wants to meet in the middle. Everybody wants to argue. So my point is, I can't tell you, right now more than ever, we've got to be self-evaluating where we are and where we need to grow. I can't fix the world. You can't fix the world. But I can let God fix me, and you can let God fix you. I can grow my faith during this time. I can encourage you to do the same. And it may not change the world, but if we want revival to start, how many people want revival? If you want revival to start, you've got to do something. Are you willing? Are you willing to do it? Because I think sometimes when we think about revival, and I'm going to let Wendy come up here and talk, because we're on the same page on this. God had put it on both our hearts, and I think she states it better. Sometimes we get wrapped up in thinking revival is going out and putting up a tent and preaching every night and singing 24 hours a day, but that's not what revival is. That's not what revival is. So, you know, the theme of uh, when we've been meeting out here uh, for a couple of weeks now has been repentance. Woo, nobody wants to do that. That's painful, isn't it? Um but God's going to keep doing it to us until, you know, he says, if my people humble themselves that are called by my name and they repent, 
then he will heal our land. All this stuff will go away, but it ain't going to happen until we do our part. And our part starts with his people. So if we're, if some people are at home and some people uh, are out being able to do what we're doing, God says it starts in your house. He means this house right here. This is the house. So he's given us all this family downtime. Some of it's been easy and some of it's been good and some of it's been painful. But he's exposed some stuff between husbands and wives with your kids. And he says it starts right here in this house. So you've got to start with this house first. And then within your house, what's going on in your house that you live in. And then he says, then that's what brings it into the church. And the church is what brings it to the world. You've got to start here within yourself. So I kept asking the Lord this week, what, what's my word, Lord? What, what do you want me to say? And the Lord kept telling me, look up revival. How does revival start? Revival happens when leaders set the example. Revival happens when everyone is unified. Revival happens when everyone does his or her part. Revival happens when people take care of what's going on in the home. Revival happens when a few souls get on fire for the kingdom. Revival happens when we practice humility. So we have to start with ourselves. Ask the Lord this week, what is it that I have to work on? It says the pride, the people that are prideful and arrogant fall. But God gives grace to the humble and he puts a blessing on the people that are humble in these days and times. Pray for those people that are acting crazy in your mind. Forgive them. Do your part. What, what, it, what is your part that you're supposed to do in this time? If you are a believer in Christ, ask the Lord during this time, what is your part as a Christian that you are supposed to be doing to bring revival? We all want revival because we want to see God's kingdom come. His will be done. So ask the Lord during this time. Start it here and then be brave and be bold. And so I speak to everyone that has been held up in their cave as a Christian. Get out of your cave, sleeper, in the name of Jesus, and do your part. I bind up any fear that would come over you during this time, because God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Go out and do your part and speak to the people that don't know who Jesus is in this time. And speak to your brothers and sisters. Anoint them. Get them out of their caves. We don't have time to be stuck in our caves. It is time to bring revival before the Lord comes back. We want souls saved for the kingdom. We don't want people going to hell. This is a time to set the fire, and if we want the fire started, I've heard for a long time the revival is going to start in Tennessee. Start it right here and right now in your home and at this place and outside of here in the name of Jesus. So I'm going to let them sing, but I'm going to end with a prayer. And so, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask that you, Father God, Humble us, Father God. I know that that's what you're doing by putting us in our homes to make us work on ourselves in this day and time, Lord. Help us to see, Lord, what we're supposed to see so we will be humble servants so no weapon that shall form against us shall prosper. And every tongue that would try to rise up against us will be condemned and we'll bring more and more souls into the kingdom in this day and time. And so, Lord, we're asking for your fire 
to set us on fire. No more slumbering spirits in the name of Jesus, Lord. It starts here, Lord. And so we thank you, Lord, that you've given us the gates and the windows and the opportunities. And so, Lord, ask that you set everybody on fire for your truth when they leave here, Lord, that they will go up to people in Walmart. We don't have to touch people to set people free. God's the one that sets them free. And so anoint everybody with their gifts, Lord, whether it's doing something through YouTube or whether it's doing something at Walmart, Lord. We are your people, Lord, and we ask, Father God, for your mercy, your forgiveness, Lord, and your help. We are nothing without you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask that you bless each person here today and each person that will receive this message. In Jesus' name, amen.